Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. I'm Alex Wojcicki in for Bryce Duskett. Thanks so much for joining us this week on Market Journal. This week, we'll be taking a closer look at diseases that soybean producers should be looking for. We'll also get an update on both the grain and cattle markets. But first, we've got some information on an event out in the Sandhills you won't want to miss. On Wednesday, August 24th, Nebraska Extension will be hosting the 23rd Annual Open House at the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory and Wagon Hammer Education Center near Whitman. This event will include demonstrations and commercial exhibits. Guests can visit those at their leisure throughout the day. This event will also feature two separate breakout sessions on the lab's beef and range research updates, as well as market updates from frequent Market Journal guest Elliot Dennis. In addition, event organizers say there will be plenty of information that will be beneficial to cattle producers around Nebraska and surrounding regions. We'll have uh, speakers on uh, marketing, um, weather conditions or, or long-term weather forecasts, how to manage uh, red cedars. Red, red cedar is becoming a bigger, bigger issue in, in Nebraska, uh, in areas of, of Nebraska that uh, looking at methods, how can we control the invasion of red cedar? In another uh, presentation, we'll have an invited speaker from Oklahoma State come in and talk about uh, post-fire grazing. You know, fire has been a big impact in a lot of our producers this year. There's been a lot of of fires across the state and so a lot of this talk will be focused on you know what should i do or how do i manage post-fire another big topic will be in the sustainability field is what we're doing as nebraska and unl on on carbon footprint and pea production systems and so that's usually a hot topic right now and uh, galen erickson will come and talk about the research they're doing in lincoln and, and you know uh, what what the future looks like for UNL in, in that that area. In an ever-changing world, it's important to keep up to date on new trends and challenges facing the cattle industry. While this open house is an opportunity for producers to get the latest and greatest information available, it also serves as an opportunity for producers to get valuable insight on current events and strategies for best management. You know, providing information to the needs of our producers, and so there, there's. You know, this year, like the last few years, have had a lot of issues of drought, of fire, of, and then, you know, the environmental pressures as well as we're getting more and more pressure from environmental groups and et cetera on how we're managing beef cows and whether or not we should be managing beef cows in our systems. And so that, that's the overall goal is just sustainability of our producers, of how can we provide them information to, to, remain and, and be sustainable and, and profitable as we'll have 200 plus people there in person and a lot of interaction between producers. And so that peer on peer interaction is very important and getting to talk to, you know, someone that you haven't seen in a while and, and you know, what their experience is and what their, you know, some of the changes in their management that they've done because of that. And, and that's also important is that interaction from that side. And so, you know, that's it's a, it's a big deal is us providing them the opportunity or providing the knowledge base for, to help them and also 
just that interaction that they're going to get with other producers, other faculty members, etc. Again, the open house will take place on August 24th from 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. That's in Mountain Daylight Time. Participants of the open house are requested to RSVP for the event, event by August 17th to ensure a lunch will be provided for you. If you're interested, you can register online or over the phone by dialing 308-696-6700. We've also posted a link to the registration along with the story on the Market Journal website. Well, shifting our attention now to the grain markets, we were joined this week by Jeff Peterson, president of Heartland Farm Partners. We were catching up on Wednesday afternoon, so we talked about the current movement in the markets. Jeff, we've kind of seen a small uptick in prices in the last month. Let's start 30,000 foot perspective. What are you seeing in the markets right now? You know, it's been a very volatile summer. You know, you think about it overall. We've had weather problems where we had a really late planting that got started up in Dakotas and it ran the market up. And we kind of peaked the market out, you know, in May. And then we peaked it out again in the middle of, of June. And then we kind of pulled this market back. And you're exactly right, Alex. We're getting another little bounce in here right now. And, and that's all being driven based off the weather and the thoughts of what that could ultimately end up meaning for yields. Absolutely. So let's look first at the corn. What's important factors that we're looking at right now? What does that look like? Yeah, the biggest things that we're continuing to watch is just what's going on on the high temperatures, the precip, and but also watching those nighttime temperatures really close all across the corn belt. And, and generally what we're kind of seeing is kind of an east versus west thing. The eastern corn belt had a few problems earlier in the year, but honestly, they've picked up some moisture. So there's still a few dry pockets out in central Illinois on into central part of Indiana, but then you get over in the western corn belt and, and the weather's working on those yields. But as we move past the weather and the yields here in the U.S., we're keeping a close eye on Europe. And Europe's not getting a lot of talk, but they're actually in, enduring probably a 100-year drought. So they've had extremely high temperatures and they've had not enough precip. And, and why that's important to us, Alex, is the fact that it, it sure looks like from the yield perspective, they could see a 750 million bushel reduction in on their overall production and and importantly how that translates to demand out of the u.s is ultimately their imports could go up 280 to 300 million bushels now we don't know yet who will fill that demand but that's something we also got to keep a close eye on in addition to that india earlier we heard a lot of talk about the indian crop on the wheat side uh, was going to be really good and now here lately it looks like that could be reduced and so what that could end up doing is that that could mean they may switch from where they were going to export some wheat to need, needing to import wheat and then the last thing we've got a close eye on is what's going on in ukraine you know the grain corridor has opened up and it's interesting they've sent out about 12 ships overall um, 10 of those have had corn on, but keep in mind that's only amounted to about 12 million bushels. But all those ships that have been sent out so far were ships that were stranded. So imagine there's been some crews on those ships all the way back to February 24th. Some of those ships only had skeleton crews, but some of them had full crews. And uh, so now they're starting to get some of them moving out. But there are three new ships that are going in to load in the ports around Odessa. That'll be the first three that are actually brand new that weren't stranded there. So we want to continue to watch what they're able to get sent out for shipments because right now on the, the export side for Ukraine, they've only got them down for probably about 360 million bushels. But it sure does look like they might be able to send out maybe another 280 million bushels. Now, some of those bushels could go over and help fill some of that demand in Europe. So that's kind of how everything's all tied together. 
So in the corn markets, we're looking at a lot of weather and international factors. Uh, flipping it to the soybean side, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, we're watching the soybean in the U.S. We're watching the weather. It's really important because here's what's interesting on beans. Beans could have a really good crop yet if we'd get some rains. However, they're not as far along as what corn is. So if the rains don't unfortunately come, those yields could be impacted even more. The other thing that we're watching really close, in one of the bills that passed in the Senate, it actually went ahead and approved the, the uh, basically the tax credit on renewable diesel and biodiesel. And as a result of that, we're watching that close because we know the renewable diesel market has the potential to use up a lot more soybean oil. So we're watching what the demand side there. We've also, believe it or not, we've got our eye on South America already because uh, starting on September 15th, they'll be able to start planting soybeans. In the southern part, it actually could even go a little sooner. It could be September 10th. Now, what we're watching down there, though, is this whole setup with La Nina. Hard to believe we're talking about that again. We're going into potentially our third year of La Nina. But in La Nina, what it does is it ends up giving us some warmer and drier conditions in the southern part of Brazil on into Argentina. So we want to watch and see what impact that has as they get ready to plant that soybean crop. We're filming this on Wednesday. So obviously the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate has, that report has not come out yet. We know it has been hot and dry here, most across Nebraska, but as we look at the national picture, is that going to impact those yields? Yeah, you know, it, it sure is. I mean, as we dig into that deeper, let's start in Nebraska first. A few things that we're seeing on the yield side. We think overall yields are coming down, especially in Nebraska, to give you an idea. One thing we watch comes out of the weekly crop progress report. That comes out on every Monday. And in that particular report, what we watch is how's the top soil moisture, the top six inches, and they're 74% short to very short. That compares to 51% last year. But that 74%, that's the fifth driest we've been all the way back to 1995. And then we go and look and say, what's going on deeper in the soil? We take a look at the, the subsoil moisture, and that's 71% short to very short versus 57% last year, and that's rated the sixth driest. So those conditions, and then on top of that, that's just the moisture situation. Temperatures during the month of July in Nebraska was the 27th warmest we had going all the way back to basically 1895. So we've had warm and dry conditions. Now those conditions also spill over into parts of Iowa, catch a little bit in South Dakota, catch about that 25% part of Illinois over into Indiana. So when we bring all that together, we believe conditions are warm and dry enough yet that it's still pulling down both the corn and the soybean yields. What else is important to mention when they look at how they calculate those WASTI numbers? Yeah, that's that's an important part. So as we dig in and look at the yield part, that's that's one of the big things. And and as we come into August, August, August report is a pivotal report because it changes in regard to what I mean by that is how they're calculating that yield. So take a look at it this way, Alex. Starting off in May, June, and July, WASD and their board and everything is putting together those estimates on yield. But once we get to August, what happens is that NAS gets involved. And NAS, the National Ag Statistics Service, at the state level, at the county level, and then at the national level, they bring all those yields together. And how they do that, instead of the models like what WASD's using, they're physically surveying farmers. Now, last year, they surveyed about 19,000 farmers and that would have been the latter days of July and the first few days of August, and asked them where they thought their yields would be as of August 1st. 
But then in addition to that, they say, okay, let's supplement that information with a little bit of satellite data. So they look at some NDVI data, the plant health data, see how that compares, and they bring that all together to give the yield forecast of what they think the yield should be for the August report. All right, Jeff, last word is yours. Final thoughts on uh, things we should be looking for, risk management. What are your last words? Yeah, so right now what I'd say is continue to focus on knowing where your break-evens are at. Start looking at where your yields are going to come in. And on this move, as we're moving higher, make sure that we're thinking about what is going to trigger our next round of sales. A big thanks, as always, to Jeff for taking the time out of his schedule to join us this week. Now turning our attention over to the cattle markets. Market Journal's Bill Dodd caught up with Mike Briggs of Briggs Feed Yard near Seward on Wednesday of this week. Mike gave us some great insights on risk management as well as the spread between cash cattle prices between the north and south regions of the U.S. But that conversation began by going over why we're seeing higher, higher cattle prices and what producers need to have in order to keep those prices elevated. So starting things off here today, uh, prices have been strong in the cattle markets as compared to previous years. Uh, what, what's keeping the cattle markets so high th at this time of year? I believe it's almost 100% demand. We have, we have developed great demand over the last few years and people reacquired a, great, a taste for beef and I just think that's where they're, they're, stand, they're sticking with it as long as they can afford it. Thank God gas has started to come back down so maybe they can keep buying it. So moving through the month of August here into September, uh, what's gonna help keep these prices elevated? Well, typically, like you said, we have a little downturn here, and then about this week or next week, probably next week, we should have a little up. We should have our Labor Day rally, which is our last big beef holiday of the year, and you usually get a nice rally out of that. Then once that happens, then it kind of slugs down again. I don't know if it's gonna do that this year either. I think we might grind higher hold steady through September, and then I think we grind higher through the fourth quarter because I think we'll finally have slaughter supplies down to where the packer actually has to try a little bit. It'll be really interesting. The first thing they'll do is they'll stop Saturday slaughters. Well, if numbers back up enough that then they got to fight just to get five days, that's when it gets fun for us as a cattle feeder. And uh, what, what season factors are, are you expecting to, to impact the cattle markets coming up here? Well, Labor Day, like we said, the last big beef holiday of the year. And then every year, that holiday push seems to start a little earlier, you know. It used to not happen until after Thanksgiving. Well, now it's started happening before Thanksgiving. Maybe it'll start happening closer to Halloween. So the sooner we get that, that holiday push and we get our numbers back, once again, that's where maybe we can have a little fun as a cattle feeder for the first time in several years. So, Mike, on the previous segment we had you on, uh, you and Bryce were discussing the, uh, the, different, the spread between the uh, south and north cash cattle prices. How are things looking now? The spread's still there. It's not as wide as it was. We got out to 10, 11, 12 bucks at one point. That's narrowed back in. It may continue to narrow. There's quite a few factors for that. One, and probably most important, is feed cost. We are finally in Nebraska getting our feed cost advantage back that we've lost because of several years of good crops in Kansas. They're having a terrible crop. I don't even know what Texas is gonna have. It looks like bare dirt down there. But, so their, their feed costs have become so high that now those cattle have started to move back north. And the nice winter we had last year helped them move back north. It doesn't scare people as much now maybe to feed up here. So Nebraska feedlots are fuller. So we're gonna have the supply of cattle instead of Kansas. And so that's gonna shrink that. It may go back to par, don't know. But if supplies get tight in Kansas, that will go back to par. That, 
that advantage will go away, unfortunately. So on the topic of feed here, uh, I'm guessing that you're kind of gearing up for silage chopping and uh, high moisture corn. Uh, what are your anticipations as far as feed's concerned? That's a great question. We actually aren't gearing up yet because we got completely hailed out there in June. So all of our corn is shoulder high. A lot of it's not even tasseled yet. So we're actually a long ways off from putting up silage. But we will put up silage. We'll put up a lot of silage because of the drought, roughage prices are going to be really high. So we need to be able to put up about as much silage as we possibly can. And kind of the same thing goes with corn. I think this corn crop is just getting smaller by the day in the western corn belt, not the eastern corn belt. It gets bigger there every day. But here in the western corn belt, I think corn is going to be hard to come by next summer, early fall. So I, we're going to try to put up as much high moisture corn as we can afford so that we've got the corn, because I think your harvest corn is going to be your cheapest corn of the year. And uh, as always, Mike, uh, last word of the day is yours. What advice do you have for our viewers as far as marketing or risk management? I'm going to say the same thing I've been saying for a year and a half. If you buy cattle, you better buy your corn because I know we had a big drop in this corn. I, I didn't expect it to be as big as it is, but that's what happens when the funds bail out of the corn. You might start seeing the funds start to pile back into this corn, and I think it's going to run away from us a little bit. I don't think it's going to nine bucks anymore, but it's not going to stay down here. So if you're buying cattle, you better buy your corn because your corn's going to get away from you again. And that we got a lot of us got in that position a couple of years ago. And it's not a very fun position to be in. So as always, you got to dot your I's and cross your T's. Mike, pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to both Jeff and Mike for their time this week. Next week, we'll be joined by Doug Simon from Tradeoff. So if you have a question you'd like to ask him, don't hesitate to send those in via email or social media. And we'll be sure to pass those questions along. Moving on, Dwayne and Priscilla Junk of Carroll, Nebraska were stuck at a crossroads. They had to decide what direction they wanted for their longtime dairy operation. On one hand, they could completely upgrade their dairy, or on the other hand, they could make the transition to raising beef cattle. The family chose to transition to beef, and they've been able to utilize resources and facilities, also knowledge gained in their dairy operation to make that transition smooth and successful. You can get all the details about that story in the August issue of Nebraska Farmer. It's time now for weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Al Dutcher. Al, we got a bit of a break from the heat earlier this week. How are things looking as far as precipitation is concerned in the coming weeks? Well, Alex, we did see that cooler weather break in through the state as we moved through last week. And of course, on Saturday, that cold front had made it all the way by the evening, made it all the way into central Nebraska. And it took an additional 24 hours for it to clear the southeastern corner of the state. So we had a big difference in temperatures, 70s and 80s across the western half of the state. Southeast Nebraska, 92 to 100 degree range was pretty common. Of course, we all cooled down statewide into the 80s on Monday, and then we've been warming up ever since. And we're now going to see the same type of temperatures as we've seen last weekend, um, basically with these warmer 100 degree with temperatures in the west and upper 90s across much of the eastern part of the state. And unfortunately, once again, it doesn't look like a significant shot of moisture in store. So bringing that into consideration, looking at the latest drought monitor, this is through conditions through Tuesday, so it didn't take into consideration any of the dryness or warmth we've seen in the last couple of days. Seeing D3 conditions expanding in northeastern Nebraska, D3 and some D4 starting to appear and expand in well, southwestern Nebraska, and much of southeastern Nebraska that was being painted as a, uh, basically in normal conditions has now been moved up to abnormally dry. Another week of warmth and dryness, and we would expect to see further deterioration across the state. So the forecast becomes very important, 
and looking at that forecast, unfortunately for today, high pressure firmly in control over the central plains. Very warm conditions. We're going to be in the upper 90s to 100 across a substantial portion of the southern half of the state. There is a low pressure system that's expected to develop across the Nebraska panhandle. Unfortunately, with that high pressure to our south, the moisture is going to have to wrap way up and around. So most of the moisture we see on this is going to be monsoonal flow through the central Rockies. As we go into tomorrow, the high pressure ridge still remains in place. Maybe a degree or two cooler. We'll wait to see. Low pressure tries to develop once again in north central Nebraska. The wraparound moisture still continues to bring that moisture into the central Rockies. Nothing really exiting out. Now on Monday, we start to see a trough over the Great Lakes starting to intensify and back build. At the same time, we get low pressure over north central Kansas. This is going to have a little bit better feed of moisture coming into western Nebraska. In combination with the monsoonal flow, we could see the western one-third of the state see some decent shots of precipitation. Now on Tuesday, that cooler air kind of pushes in through from the east to the west. We're going to drop into the 80s across the state. Low pressure sets up over central Oklahoma. That may bring some moisture up and around and points southeastern or southwestern and the southern panhandle in the area of best precipitation. And the remainder of it looks like it's going to remain pretty much to the south of us. As we get into Wednesday, the low pressure again starts to form up in northeastern portions of North Dakota. We still see the monsoonal flow and some pretty significant moisture in eastern Colorado, but it doesn't appear that any of that is brought into western Nebraska. We still keep the cool conditions in place, so it's going to be at least a relief from the heat, but in terms of moisture, we have low pressure sitting over eastern Iowa. That's going to be too far to the east for it to bring any moisture into the eastern part of the state. Most of the substantial precipitation lies to the south of us. And as we get into Friday, we're still dealing with this upper air trough. There is a piece of energy that's coming down the back side of it that may make it in here in the first half of next weekend, but right now it doesn't look great. Low pressure over northeastern Oklahoma basically is keeping the moisture to the south of us. It's not bringing anything up that can interact with the fronts. And as we go even further in time, the 8 to 14, now starting to show a cooler trend. And that starts to occur during the second half of the weekend as we see that cool temperatures hold and then that warmth will start to build in, particularly as we get into the 22nd, which would take us just past next weekend as high pressure starts to build in. And with that high pressure building in, it keeps the moisture to the south and dry conditions to our north. So no substantial relief yet in the forecast. All right, thanks, Al. Finally, today, as we continue to trek through the month of August, producers can see that finish line to the growing season and the start of harvest. However, we're not quite there yet, and there are some plant health concerns that soybean producers should be paying close attention to. We recently caught up with Nebraska Extension plant pathologist Dylan Mangle ahead of this week's soybean management field days. We got his insights on soybean diseases that may be hindering some operations. Market Journal's Bill Dodd has more on this story. A spring season that gave us a mixed bag of weather with everything from hail to drought has had a hand in giving soybean producers a mixed bag of pathogens to deal with in their crops. So going into August, producers can expect to see uh, more, more disease. Uh, we've kind of, due to dry conditions, had a, a lagging uh, presence of plant pathogens in the soybean fields. But August is traditionally more humid, so we might see some pathogens in areas where we have increased humidity. And if we do get any rain, some of those pathogens that are already present at low levels, like frog eye leaf spot, might start to blow up in the field uh, and, and get out of hand a little bit more. Some other pathogens you might see are sudden death syndrome and brown stem rot. Now, both of those are going to have bright foliar symptoms, so you'll see chlorosis or yellowing of the leaves starting at the top of the plant. And at some time, it can, sometimes it can be hard to tell those apart. 
Uh, but one thing you can do to, to dis differentiate those in the field is pull up plants and then cut those stems open, cut them in half so you can see what the inside of that stem looks like. And sudden death syndrome plants, they're going to have, you know, cleaner, more white centers in those stems, whereas brown stem rot, there will be a lot of rot in the center of those plants. Uh, and then the last thing producers might see in some parts of the states is white mold. So white mold traditionally has been a problem in more northern areas like Minnesota and the Dakotas. But over the last few years, it's moved into uh, the northern part of Nebraska. And it's caused producers a lot of trouble up there. But it's going to be hard to get rid of that once you have it. And you need to, to at that point, consider management options like fungicides uh, and then changes in cultural practices uh, like improving drainage uh, or considering row spacing options in areas where you have problems. Uh, white mold is only able to infect the plant during a short uh, window of susceptibility and that's when flowering is happening. The fungus infects through those flowers. So uh, if you can help make conditions worse for the pathogen during that time, uh, one example would be altering irrigation conditions, uh, then you can help decrease the amount, of, the amount of disease that you're having in those fields. And when I say alter irrigation, uh, I don't mean stop irrigating during that time because that's really not an option here in Nebraska. But one option would be watering deeper, so putting about an inch on at a time instead of less. Uh, so you're coming around with that, that irrigation pivot less often and it, uh, while it still gets the water it needs. If you have suspicions that you might be dealing with soybean disease but aren't too sure what's ailing your plants or how to proceed with treatment, the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic is always at your disposal and ready to lend a hand. When you're considering a management decision, those management decisions match the pathogen you have. Uh, and that's true for, for fungicides and seed treatment fungicides as well. So you need to know what you're dealing with. And one way you can figure that out for sure if you're questioning it, it is to contact Nebraska Extension uh, or, or send samples into the, the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic. So after you've identified pathogens in the field and you know what you're dealing with, you can select an appropriate product uh, to treat that if that's, if that's uh, feasible for that pathogen. Or uh, you can start planning ahead for next season. And the thing you want to do in that, uh, for next season is select an appropriate variety and pair it with a seed treatment uh, that's effective against that pathogen, if that's the case. Contact us if you have any questions, first of all. But send samples into the lab. Send entire plants if you can do it. Uh, some of these diseases like sudden death syndrome, you'll see symptoms on the leaves, but it's actually a root problem. And to identify it, we need to see the roots of those plants as well. So entire plants are important. All right, thanks for that update, Bill. If you'd like to learn more about soybean diseases facing producers across the state, you can always find that information right at your fingertips. Just visit cropwatch.unl.edu. We've also posted some helpful links along with this story on the Market Journal website. That's going to do it for this week's show. And if you missed a story, be sure to subscribe to Market Journal on YouTube. You can also like and follow us on social media to join in on that conversation. Thanks again for joining us for this week's broadcast. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki. Have a great week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.